we came to a break in the poem, or at least so I claimed, and this seems like a good place to put in an interpolated episode. Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and in this episode of the podcast, Walking with Dante, I want to talk to you about the manuscripts of comedy. Where are they? How do we know what comedy is? This is a little technical. I'll confess to it. Uh, Sit back. Enjoy it. Let it happen. It's a little in the weeds. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. You know, sometimes it's good to get in the weeds. I'll try to make this as simple as possible and explain some of the problems of manuscript transmission. But again, a little technical, but I find it endlessly fascinating. And I hope that I can make it that way for you too. Okay, to start this discussion, there are three points that we need to make. Here's the first. In 1321... Dante dies. That's 700 years ago from the very year 2021 when I'm recording this. Here's the second fact we need to know. There are more than 800 manuscripts of the comedy. There are more than, just a little more than, 600 full manuscripts and about 200 or so partial manuscripts. And there's a sub-point to this one. Not a one of those manuscripts is in Dante's own hand. Now, the third point we have to know. The earliest known manuscript is most likely from 1336. It's the Landiano manuscript in Piacenza. That is probably the oldest manuscript that we know of. There are some claims for earlier manuscripts. They are not authenticated the way the Landiano manuscript is in Piacenza. So that's probably the oldest manuscript that we have, the oldest that is accepted by most scholars. Okay, those are our three facts. Here's what we learn out of those three facts. Hmm, There's a 15-year gap between Dante's death and the first manuscript. What happens in those 15 years. Not all 800 manuscripts are produced that we have of the comedy by any stretch of the imagination. Instead, the most important thing you can know of is there are a, mm, about, there's a little bit of fudging here, about six commentaries that get written in that 15-year gap from Dante's death to the first manuscript, the Landiano manuscript. About six. Dante's own son, Jacopo, writes a rather sketchy commentary the year after his father's death in 1322. It's a sketchy, uh, generalized commentary. It's not very in-depth, but it does exist. It's probably the earliest commentary that we know of, Jacopo, Dante's own son, at his commentary. Then, in 1324... A Bolognese scholar, Graziello Bambolioni, writes a full commentary, 1324, Dante's been dead now three years, in Latin of the Inferno. Not too much later, probably about 1324, and up leading up to about 1328, a second Bolognese scholar writes a full commentary on the entire comedy. In this case... Giacomo della Lana writes it in, well, a Bolognese dialect, which is close to the dialect of the comedy, but not exactly there. There's also an anonymous Lombardy commentary, but it's in Latin, 
1325 that probably comes between those two most likely. And then we get the big one, a Carmelite friar, Guida da Pisa, in about 1330, writes a commentary of Inferno, and much of what we now see as the allegorical interpretation of Inferno, and maybe of the whole poem extending out from it, comes because of Guido da Pisa's Latin commentary on Inferno. It really sets a great deal of what goes on. And then finally, the sixth of this lot, is there's an anonymous commentary in about 1333 to 1338. So those commentaries are all being written between Dante's death and the first known manuscript. And let me just say, changes are being introduced to the text. In fact, one of the things that can happen is that you can, you can compare the Landiano manuscript with quotes taken from the comedy in any of these commentaries. And you can compare how close they are to each other. It's harder in Latin, right? Because you're dealing there with a translation, but nonetheless, you can see that ooh, between that manuscript and Dante's death, we have some people quoting comedy, even though we don't have any manuscripts from it. And unfortunately, we already have some problems inside the text itself. I'm going to come back to that. There's some corruptions by inadvertent error, and there are some corruptions because of Latin translations of the Italian. So there are two different ways that the corruptions start to happen here. We don't think anybody's purposefully changing the text, at least I think most scholars don't. There's, they're inadvertent errors. Here's the problem. When the New Testament is copied by monks and scribes in, oh, I don't know, let's make it up, in 800 AD, and they're copying the Greek New Testament, there's two things that go on here. A, most of the monks do not know Greek, and that's important. They're not allowed to know Greek. If they knew Greek, they may, in fact, be copying out what they hear and correcting it. They, oh, that's not exactly how you, I don't know, conjugate the verb pisteuo. That's not exactly how I would do it. So I'm going to put my own conjugation on that verb and give it my own spin, which I think is grammatically correct. And two, they're copying it by somebody at the front of the room just calling out the letters, alpha, beta, or let's say in terms of the word I use, pisteo, pi, <laughs> etc. They're calling out those letters, pi, iota, sigma, tau. They're calling them out in front and writing them. And when you get to the end of your page, if your last letter is not the last letter he called, your manuscript's no good. So they're throwing it out. But unfortunately, nobody's taking that level of care with the comedy. Of course not. No one is being that careful with it. And so there are errors that are being inadvertently admitted into the quotes or into Landiano, depending on which way you want to look at it. We think, most people think, there is probably a manuscript from about 1330 that is now lost. We, the reason we know that, which would be six years before the Landiano manuscript, the reason we know that is because in 1548, the Florentine humanist Luca Martini corrected his printed text, he had a printed text in 1548, of comedy, making reference to this earlier manuscript. 
So we think there may be one from before Landiano. And in fact, Martini's corrections in his 1548 printed comedy become part of the way we adjudicate errors back and forth across texts. Finally, we get the Landiano manuscript in 1336, and then from about 1340s to the 1360s, another of Dante's sons, Pietro, begins writing Latin commentaries on his father's work. And what's important about Pietro is he is very intent on correcting textual errors in the in his own commentary. He's very uh, upfront about saying this passage is corrupted and what it's supposed to be is blank. Some people say we're not quite sure how he knows that it's a corruption there. there are, there's some scholarly doubt on that. But it is another important factor in establishing a text when we don't have anything hmm, straight out of the poet's hands. So those all are happening. And then a second hmm, difficulty starts to erupt after this. And that is the comedy becomes printed or handwritten and dialectical differences in Italian start getting introduced into it. For example, let me give you an example. Um, remember the first line of the comedy, Namezzo del Camin di Nostra Vita? There's a 1481 print edition that corrects it. Now, if you know Italian, you probably hear that, Namezzo del Camin di Nostra Vita, and you think, wait, don't Italian words end in vowels? Well, this 1481 print edition does correct it and say, Namezzo del Camino di Nostra Vita, thereby standardizing Camin to a more modern understanding of Italian. See, that's tough. In 1352, there's the Herb Manuscript. It's a northern medieval manuscript, and it starts trans writing the comedy in a northern Italian dialect. So it's not nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita, it's nel medio del cammin di nostra vita. Those kind of dialectical differences start getting introduced into the text. There's a Pisan manuscript. It may even be before the Landiano. Um, it's 1334, but it may be disputed. It's got Pisan dialectical issues in it. There's a Tuscan manuscript from 1337 copied by a very, very astute and secure scholar, Francesco di Sernardo. Um, it's probably the most well-known and reliable of all of the manuscript scribes, but he's correcting certain things toward a Tuscan that he speaks. There's a Bolognese manuscript from about 1339 or so, again, pulling it toward a Bolognese dialect. They're pulling dialectical changes right and left. Let me stop back and explain to you two ways that manuscripts get corrupted. When you study manuscripts, you learn that there are two ways they can be corrupted. They're referred to as horizontal and vertical contaminations. This is what it means. Let's say I write a sentence out. Um, Jane loves Jane loves James. Okay, there's my sentence. Jane loves James. And you copy it and you change it to James loves Jane. All right. You took mine and you reversed the names and you changed it. That's considered a horizontal error because you're taking mine 
and you're moving it over into, as it were, a different column. Now let's say your, I don't know, son, daughter, nephew, niece takes what you just wrote and they copy it and they follow you, not me. And so they write, James loves Jane. Now it's considered a vertical error. You have deviated horizontally from me and now there are texts that are following you down vertically. So in textual transmission, I know this seems like the weeds, but in textual transmission, there are horizontal and there are vertical contaminations. Horizontal variations, some of them, like some of these dialectical differences, never get picked up, like Nomegio. It appears there, but it doesn't become a dominant part of the tradition. And so it becomes a horizontal contamination without a vertical set underneath it. Other things start to develop their own verticality, like that 1481 print edition. That becomes a giant vertical contamination. Now, listen, camin, camino. We're not, we're not talking here... <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking here some giant uh, uh, change. We're not going, oh, from the end, uh, you know, in the middle of life, in the middle of the way of our life. And then somebody says, no, it's in the end of our life. I don't know, right? You're changing middle to end. We're not talking giant. We're talking mezzo de meggio or camin del camino. We're not talking giant errors here. We're talking errors that drive scholars insane, the kind of stuff that drives people who spend their lives in libraries insane. And I used to be one of these people when I was a PhD and when, when I was an academic. I used to be driven insane by the problems in Faulkner, but that's a whole different story. So these are the kind of errors that get introduced into text. And by the time we get up to the printing press, there are all kinds of vertical errors running back to original, and some we can't even see the original, horizontal errors, columns of errors. By the time we get up to 1400, there are two main manuscript veins. There is the vein that comes out of the great literary figure and scholar Giovanni Boccaccio. Boccaccio copied the comedy three times from a manuscript he ordered for his friend Petrarch. Boccaccio introduced some changes that he felt were better in comedy, but he becomes one of the two main dominant veins that are coming <laughs> toward comedy itself. The other is a man named Filippo Villani in 1401, and he has a different manuscript tradition. Interestingly, most of the Italian and the Anglo-American scholars follow Boccaccio's tradition. Most of the German and Central European scholars follow the Villani tradition. It is just a matter of finding and making claims based on what you think is the authenticity of the manuscript. And what I'm working on is basically going back to Boccaccio's manuscript. What happened is in the year 1965, a scholar, Giorgio Petrocchi, was commissioned on the anniversary of Dante's birth, and if you take 1265 as the year of his birth, on the anniversary of his birth to create a stable text. Petrocchi basically comes out of the Boccaccio tradition, 
standardizes it, and it is the text that I'm using for my translation. There are people who will disagree with it. And in fact, right now, this is such a hot topic that there are new Dante manuscripts considered, you know, the Urtext. Again, comparing commentaries and dialectical problems and print errors and, and going back to Martini's corrections of his printed copy and all that. There are other people coming up with other manuscripts. And let me just say... The Petrochi manuscript, which I use for my translation, does not completely agree with that oldest known manuscript, the Landiano manuscript. There are problems between the two of them. Now, lest suddenly you feel that you are out of the depth and you can't put your feet on anything solid, let me just stop and say there are 396 lines where there are significant problems. 396 lines in comedy of 14,233 lines. That's 2.7% of the lines. And some of these differentials are very small. A few of them, and we're going to start getting to some of them, are a little bigger. And they have a little bit of a problem. There's a little bit of squishiness underneath us. What's amazing is that 97.3% of the text is basically stable. That's amazing for a text that is now so old, that is over 700 years away from us, that was copied by so many people in so many dialects, in Latin, in so many dialects of Italian, and then over into German and English, and, and was set in print, not always so carefully set in print, and oh man, to say that there's 97.3% of the comedy is stable is amazing. To say that there are 396 lines of the 14,233 where we can actually identify a problem, that's another matter. And we'll get to some of them. And I'm going to start showing you some of the problems in the manuscript. But I don't want you to think that you can't trust it. I want you to just see that this poem has had an extraordinary history. God, there's a gorgeous copy of the comedy at the Bodleian Library at Oxford. It's fully illustrated. It's from about 1350. It's fully illustrated. It's beautiful. Go on YouTube. You can look it up. It's gorgeously done. The illustrations oh, are magnificent in this hand-lettered copy that's at the Bodleian at Oxford. And that manuscript is from 1350, only 14 years after the Londiano in Piacenza. Again, it's not that the ground is not stable under you. It's that the manuscript itself that we're looking at has a whole history. And by my telling you that I'm basically translating Petrochi's manuscript from 1965 reveals to you something about what I think is the most stable manuscript of the poem. But there are many scholars, particularly now in 2021, who disagree. And some of those disagreements are arcane and picayune. And some of them are actually doctrinal, and we'll get to them, the bigger ones. If you want to know more about this, there's an excellent article written by the scholar Prue Shaw on manuscript transmission. You can look her up, P-R-U-E-S-H-A-W. She's got a great article that you can find online about manuscript transmission and how it's worked over the years and how the comedy has become what we now think of the comedy and some of the instabilities in it and some of the ways that new manuscripts are coming. They're coming fast. Uh, man, scholars are on this. There are, and just in the last 20 years, there have been several major changes uh, from the Petrochi manuscript from 1965, and this only stands to reason. Interestingly, 
we have a more sacred stance to text than maybe people had in 1400 or 1360 or 1330. Standing this far away, we've turned the text into a relic and we are looking for its absolute holy essence. That's not necessarily wrong. It's just interesting that we, it's become an obsession of correcting it that may not have been an, such an obsession early in the manuscript when people were making it fit their own Italian dialects and when Boccaccio was copying it out and making some changes along the way because he just wanted it to be a little different. Mm. All of this extraordinarily important toward the development of comedy itself. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, Walking with Dante. No, we didn't talk about the poem at all. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the manuscript and how we got it and where it is and Blondiano and the Bodleian Library at Oxford and who all these figures are that wrote commentaries and the weird notion that between Dante's death and the first dated manuscript, there's at least six commentaries going on, that there may have been a corrected printed text in 1548 that we got hold of, although we don't have the original, that Dante's son Pietro seemed intent on correcting textual errors. Oh, man. It's a complicated history full of horizontal and vertical contaminations. And yet at the same time, it is an amazing poem that has warranted this level of scrutiny. I'll see you next time on the podcast Walking with Dante. Dante.